This morning, we're going to conclude our study of the Gospel of Mark. This is a teaching series that we've been in together as a church since November. It feels like a lifetime ago. And we finally come to a conclusion today. Um, some of you have been with us the whole time, walking through the Gospel of Mark from the very beginning, getting to know Jesus more and more. Some of you maybe have tuned in more recently or are just tuning in now. But I'd encourage you in the week ahead, if you've been following along with the study, to review, to go back over the Gospel of Mark. If you've taken any notes, to go back, review the notes. And really, before we move on, to, to see what it is that the Lord has been impressing on you, what he's been teaching you. And if you're new to this, or just tuning in, I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of Mark sometime soon. Read it for yourself. Or any of you, uh, for a different way to engage, I would point you to a, a movie, The Gospel of Mark, full-length feature movie that is really just word-for-word word, The Gospel of Mark uh, with motion pictures set to it. You can find this on YouTube or Netflix, Amazon Prime. If you've been scrolling around any of those places looking for something good, this is something good, a way to dive in and to continue to explore Jesus through The Gospel of Mark. And as you look at Mark or as you look back over Mark, ask yourself these two questions that we've been continually coming back to over and over again throughout our study. We've been asking, who is Jesus? and What does it mean to follow him? For some of you, this may have been your first time really looking through the life of Jesus, getting to know him, and, and he's showing you who he is. For some of you, maybe this was your hundredth time looking at the Gospel of Mark, but God's word is active and alive and speaking to us now. So ask these questions. What are you learning about who Jesus is? And what is he saying to you now about what it means to follow him? I would encourage you to do that. Now, back in November, Pastor Tom made the case that these two questions are really the most important questions that we can come to in our lives, and it's critically important that we get them right. Now, so much about life has changed since November, and we may be asking a whole bunch of other questions that we weren't asking before, but these two still remain the most paramount and important questions to come back to and to get right in our lives. Who is Jesus, and what does it mean for us to follow him? Way back when we kicked off the series, we started at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark with this verse, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is Mark 1.1, the opening verse. But it may not just be that. Many scholars have made the case that this is actually the title of the book, the title of what Mark wrote, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that actually this whole story leading up to and including the good news last week of the resurrection of the empty tomb of Jesus, it's the beginning of the good news of Jesus and what he came to bring to the world. It's all the beginning. Last week on Easter, we celebrated that Jesus is alive. One of the most profound and important answers to the question, who is Jesus, is that he is alive. He's living. He's not simply past tense only, but is present tense, future as well. His life, his work, his presence continues in the world to this day. His story is one that goes on in our world now and one that invites our participation, demands our response as Jesus continues to call out to us invites us to call out to him. So we have been looking over the past months at the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. And we'll conclude today 
with a message called The Good News Continues. The Good News Continues, now. And we'll be turned to the concluding words in the Gospel, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. So turn there with me if you've got a Bible or an electronic version or, or something. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. As you do, if you've got a printed Bible, you may notice that our passage for today probably appears in a different font, and in your Bible there's probably some sort of note. Mine says, uh, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. And it's true. Pastor Tom mentioned last week that uh, what comes after verse 8, Mark probably didn't write himself. It came along later. That His original ending was in chapter 16, verse 8, which is the women standing at the empty tomb having encountered Jesus. Verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, the other three Gospels go on to describe some very important events that happen after this moment. Uh, but Mark ends here. Now, why did he do that? I wish we could ask him, but we can't. Nobody really knows for sure, but a couple of likely things. One is that Mark may have meant to leave off at this moment of dramatic tension in the story. These women have uh, encountered the risen Jesus, the best news ever, that he is still alive, and yet they're scared to death, and they don't say anything yet. And there is so much at stake in this moment. If these women continue to just stay silent and afraid, the good news kind of stops here. It doesn't go forward. Nobody hears about it. It doesn't encounter, it touch anybody's life. But that's the way people come to know the good news about Jesus, is through the testimony of witnesses, people who encounter the living Jesus and tell other people about him. So there's so much at stake in this moment that the women eventually would go and tell. That's a tension that Mark's original audience would have been facing all the time. He was writing to a people for whom identifying as a Christian publicly was a dangerous thing. And speaking of Jesus publicly, could be very, very costly. And so they were often afraid. And they would face this choice. Well, do we remain afraid and do we stay silent about Jesus? Or do we testify to the living God? It's a tension they faced and a tension maybe we face in our own lives. Do we stay silent about the good news of Jesus because of various fears, perhaps? Or will we testify to him? Will we tell people that he's alive, that he's real? That's a very old tension, and one that Mark captures really well by ending his gospel at verse 8. It's also possible that Mark didn't really feel the need to write down the things that happened after this, to, to record the post-resurrection encounters that Jesus had with various people, because at the time of his writing, many of those people were still alive. They were still there telling people about what happened. This was primarily an oral word-of-mouth culture. And many of the people who encountered Jesus after his resurrection were still telling people about it in person, mouth, word of mouth. Uh, as the later Gospels came along, there were fewer and fewer living eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. It seemed important to record these stories, to preserve them, to transmit them down to future generations like us. And at some point, it seemed helpful to some early church leaders 
to do this with Mark's gospel. If people just had Mark's gospel, they want to make crystal clear, well, look, the story does not end here at verse 8. Well, there were no more eyewitnesses around to say it, so it seemed important to preserve that some things happened to get us from this point at the empty tomb to where we are now. Some really important things. And so that's where we, we leave off. Verses 9 through 20, they're sort of like an epilogue or maybe an editor's note as the Gospel of Mark was being transmitted and copied around the world, was added in. So it's not really on par necessarily with the Holy Word of God. It wasn't written by Mark himself. I wouldn't take anything from what I'm about to read on its own and build an important doctrine about God around it. But it is useful, like many early church writings, are very useful, and in many ways it's a summary of what appears elsewhere in the New Testament, in the other three Gospels and in the book of Acts. So we'll dive in now, beginning at verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So these are post-resurrection encounters people had with Jesus. And this is consistent with the other Gospels, that Jesus first appeared to Mary, to women who were the first witnesses, who went and in turn told others, told the eleven disciples about the resurrection Verses 12 and 13 is a summary of a longer account that appears in Luke chapter 24. Two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, who Jesus encountered there. And verse 14 describes Jesus appearing to the eleven and eating together with them, something that's also recorded in the other Gospels. A common theme here in all of these accounts is the disciples' struggle to believe at first. And this is consistent with a theme all throughout Mark, which is brutally honest about the struggles of the early disciples, the first followers of Jesus. And these were the guys who told the story and passed it on, but they do not sugarcoat themselves at all. They're quite honest and transparent about their struggles. The early disciples were often afraid, often doubted, often slow to understand what was going on. They're not superheroes by any stretch, but they certainly found one, the ultimate superhero, Jesus, who could save and rescue and deliver them. And that's part of what it means to follow Jesus, not to be perfect, not to be superhuman, superheroes, not to be impervious to doubts or pain or struggles, or suffering, or questions, but Ultimately, to follow Jesus is to be imperfect people, turning to, calling out to, depending on, and holding on to a perfect Jesus through all the mess of our lives, part of what it means to follow him. We'll continue on now in our reading, verse 15. From there, he said to them, "'Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved.'" but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. This is also consistent with what we see in the other Gospels and in the book of Acts. They all include a commissioning by Jesus to his first followers to go and to take the good news about him, to take the gospel to all creation, not just to the people in their own group who they're comfortable with, but to all people to bring this good news to others. They're, they're given a mission. And as they do, he promises that he will be with them in power. So we see here mission and power together. They go hand in hand you know, to take part in the mission of God in the world. It's not primarily a human-centered enterprise, something we undertake ourselves by our own strength, by our own power, by our own wisdom and ability and that sort of thing. It's something that's meant to be driven by and empowered by the power of God and to be a conduit so that others in the world can encounter the power of God, not the power of us. To be part of the mission of God in the world means to go forward in the power of God. And the power of God we see here is not just something to enjoy in and of ourselves, but to fuel us for mission. All of these kind of acts and demonstrations of the power of God listed here, we see most of them in the book of Acts as these early disciples go out on mission. They did speak in other tongues and languages. They did drive out demons. They did pray for people and see them healed. We saw the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28 uh, has a deliverance from a deadly snake that is a sign to a people who'd never heard of Jesus before that he's real and that he's powerful. This whole thing about drinking poison, that is the one thing that does not appear in Scripture. But there are accounts in the early church uh, where there was a lot of persecution, where early followers of Jesus were often killed or attempted to be killed, uh, at times, God miraculously delivered them, such as from attempts to poison them. God, there were stories of God miraculously delivering people. So these are not like parlor tricks to just sort of try at home, enjoy the power of God. This is all in the context of mission. Some people were delivered supernaturally because God had more for them to do. So these two things go together, mission and power. There's a mission given to the followers of Jesus, imperfect people, but he promises that his power will be with them and empower them for what he calls them to do. And then we conclude here, verses 19 and 20. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So here we see Jesus ascend into heaven. He's no longer physically with us, present in a bodily form as he once was, but he goes on, and the good news goes on, and people continue to encounter him. And it happens as these disciples, these ordinary people with their struggles and their doubts and their fears, these ordinary people take the message of an extraordinary, perfect Jesus everywhere they go, and people encounter him and continue to encounter him to this day. So as we come to the end of Mark's gospel, the story does not end here. The good news of the risen Jesus continues to go forward, continues to change lives to this day. And at this moment, Jesus is calling out to people, 
people are calling out to Jesus, and he is responding. So I want to give us some time to consider this morning as we close this study, how might Jesus be calling out to us? How might we call out to him in this time? And I'll refer back to a few images we see of Jesus calling and people calling to him throughout the Gospel of Mark. First, one prominent call of Jesus throughout the Gospel is that, follow me. The simple call, come, follow me. He issues that call to wealthy people and to poor people, to religious people and irreligious people, all kinds of people, that same call, come, follow me. It so happens that on our original plans as a church, we were going to have baptisms today. And in the weeks uh, leading up to it, we would have given you the opportunity to consider, might this be a time when Jesus is calling you to decide to follow him, really, for the first time, to give your life to Jesus, to place your trust and hope in him? There's a baptismal pool behind me. We have a pop-up one at our Quinn Sigmund Village campus. We hope to open them real soon. And we hope to celebrate publicly those who decide to follow Jesus. But you don't have to wait another minute. Today, if Jesus is calling you, if you're at a point where you have looked at him, explored him, you want to give your life to him, you don't need to wait another moment. And I would encourage you, don't go another day without him. Those who get baptized here wear one of these t-shirts that Andrew was wearing. I have decided There are definitive moments in our lives where Jesus calls to us and we need to decide to say yes to him. What we say when we baptize people is, do you profess Jesus as Savior and Lord? That's what it means to profess Jesus as Savior, one, to acknowledge we need saving. On our own, on our own merit and our own good works, we're not able to come before God and and meet God's standard. But Jesus dying on the cross was the perfect sacrifice that allows us to be made right with God. He is our Savior. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can make ourselves right with God. None of us can save ourselves from death either, but Jesus is our Savior who can do it all. And we profess Jesus as Lord, the one who now calls the shots that our lives are no longer our own, but they belong to him. And from now on, we're following him as Lord, as the leader of our lives. I'd put that invitation out to you today, listening. If you've never professed Jesus as your Savior and Lord, don't wait. Don't wait any longer. He's calling out to you. He will receive you right where you are. You can simply talk to him, pray to him. Say, Jesus, I I receive you as my Savior. I acknowledge I can't save myself, but I believe you, Jesus, lived the perfect life I could never live. You died the death that I deserve in my place, and you rose to life, and I choose to follow you for the rest of mine. You can say that to him. In our online bulletin and probably in the comments section now, there is a place you can click called Next Steps with Jesus. And if you're in a place where you want to pray that to him, you want to receive him in your life, go there, please, so we can, we can know, we can follow up with you. If you'd like someone to talk you through that, what that looks like, or to pray with you, we will follow up with you. But you don't need to wait. You can turn to him right now where you are. 
Perhaps you're just tuning in, though, and this is all a bit new to you, and you think, wow, uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm quite ready for that. I'm maybe intrigued, drawn to Jesus. That's fine. If maybe you don't quite understand enough or know enough to make such a big decision, I'd want to invite you, though, to press forward and to seek Jesus in this time. The early disciples had a lot of questions for him. A lot of what Jesus said at first didn't make any sense to them. Didn't make any sense to a lot of people, but the disciples were the ones who came close to him afterwards and would ask him their questions. And sure enough, he gave them answers. If you've got questions about Jesus, we want you to give you space to explore them. We're actually going to start a new online life group, Exploring Jesus. Again, in the comments or in the bulletin, you can, uh, there's instructions there. You can text Explore Jesus to 97000. We'll follow up with you and form a group. If you've got questions, bring them to Jesus and bring them into community where we can get some answers and know what you need to know to follow Jesus. Now, some of you perhaps have decided already to follow Jesus. You have received him, professed him as your Savior and Lord. That doesn't mean Jesus is done with you by any means. And I wonder how he might be calling to you now. How might Jesus be calling to you now? I'll share a couple other calls that he issued throughout the Gospel of Mark. One, this is really the primary message that Jesus preached, found in chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus came to show us that this world we live in and its kingdoms are not all there is to it, that he in fact came to bring a new world order, that he is brought into our world and will bring to completion one day. And to whatever extent our allegiances are elsewhere or our values or our lives are not aligned with those of his kingdom, the invitation is to repent to turn, literally, to change, have a complete change and reorientation of mind, to repent, turn to him. Perhaps maybe as we've been studying or as we've been going through this trial of a season, there's an invitation from God to you to repentance, to some kind of turning. You know, seasons like this can show us an awful lot about ourselves if we're willing to listen and if we're willing to be honest Perhaps we've been seeing ways that our attachments or our hopes really lie more with this world than with Jesus and his kingdom. The places we turn for consolation or security or whatever, they may be more things of this world than Jesus and his kingdom. And perhaps this is an invitation to to repent, to turn from the things we've been putting our trust in, putting our hope in, to turn to Jesus, find hope and trust and security in him. Maybe there's some other invitation to to repent. Maybe this has just revealed something ugly in your heart, in your attitude towards others or selfishness, whatever the case may be. The invitation, again, to repent, to turn to Jesus, to confess where we've fallen short and invite him to make us new and different. Repent and believe the good news. Another call that Jesus issued in the Gospel of Mark that perhaps would resonate with you is that to his first followers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He invited people not just to follow him but to do so in 
in joining him in his mission, joining him in bringing people, bringing others to Jesus, sharing and spreading the good news with others. How about you? Is this a time, is this a season when Jesus is calling you to step deeper into mission with him, to get past our our silent fear and to open up to share the good news with others? We don't even have to leave our house. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tom issued a challenge to some of us to record a story, a testimony of how Jesus changed my life and to post it somewhere on social media. Some of us did that and got some surprising responses. I don't know why I was surprised. I shouldn't be. Times like this can really be a time when people are really open and questioning and need to hear from you that there's good news of a living Jesus alive in the world. Maybe you'd want to join warm, volunteer, or step out and demonstrate and embody the love of Jesus in our community to whatever degrees you're able in this time. But is there a way that Jesus is calling you now to come follow him into mission? I know we're all struggling, but there are people struggling just as much and doing it without Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, you've got to find a way to let others know, especially in a time like this. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. These are calls that Jesus issued in the Gospels, but calls that go out loud and clear now, and he may be calling to you. There are also a lot of times in the Gospels where people call out to Jesus. And he may be inviting you to do that today as well. To really cry out to him from a deep and honest and vulnerable place. That oftentimes is what faith actually looks like. Faith is not just keeping your chin up and being false positive and reciting chipper platitudes even if you don't mean them. What faith can look like in a time of struggle and confusion is just to cry out to Jesus from wherever we are. We see people do that all throughout Mark's gospel. A few examples. In chapter 4, the disciples come across a storm at sea and they cry out, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? These are people who'd seen Jesus do some amazing, miraculous things up until this point, but then they came across a storm that they'd never seen before, something new, something scary, and they cried out to Jesus, help! And he calmed the storm, invited them to deeper faith and trust in him. In Mark chapter 5 is a beautiful story of a woman who'd been suffering greatly for a long time and suffering in silence and in isolation, she reached out to Jesus, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She was healed. Jesus turned to her, and others said, don't bother him. Why why do you care about this woman? But he stopped everything, and he wanted to hear what was going on with her. And she told him the whole truth, everything, and he wanted to hear it. He received her, received her story. In Mark chapter 10, we meet a blind man named Bartimaeus. Here's Jesus is coming by and shouts out, Son of David, have mercy on me. People around him tell him, shut up. Don't bother Jesus. He's got more important things to do. But we're told he shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. These are all expressions of faith. People turning 
to Jesus in hopes and in, in some kind of trust that he could intervene in their situation, that he could rescue, that he could bring healing, that he could bring mercy where they needed it. He may be inviting you to cry out to him today for real. Some of you have really been struggling. Maybe you've been doing it quietly, just inside, trying to hold it together. Maybe you felt like, oh, I don't want to bother Jesus with this. Surely he's got more important things to worry about in the world right now. Look at how he responds to people. Faith, again, does not mean to just suck it up and, and get through and, and say the happy things that, if you're really hurting, but to bring your heart, to tell Jesus the whole truth. Cry out to him. It's hard to encounter him when we hide from him, but we really can encounter him when we bring all of who we are before him and trust and hope that he's there. My wife, Liz, she gave me permission to share this. She had a real breakthrough recently. As we'd hit about a month of quarantine, she really hit a wall. And she'd been trying to hold it together, keep it strong. She's doing work still. She's doing classes. She's holding our house together and caring for our son. It, it's been a lot. And she had a moment where she just couldn't go on like that and, and poured it all out to God in a journal. She looked up the word weary in a thesaurus wrote down every word and said, God, this is all of how I feel and more. And you know, that was a real breakthrough for her spiritually in this season. A real breakthrough. Turns out that God already knew all that. He could receive her just as she was and that was a place of encountering God in a profound way, just calling out to him from where she was. One of the upsides for me of this no-school thing is my teenage son is really sleeping in quite a bit. And I've got extended time in the morning to pray, to be with God. And I'll tell you, a fair amount of it looks like these cries from the people in Mark. I wake up pretty much every day anxious about something. And it doesn't help to just try to pretend that's not there and be the faithful pastor and, and whatever, but I've got to bring my heart to God. Help me, show me the way, have mercy on me. And man, he is meeting me in powerful ways. I really, I cannot imagine life without Jesus right now. And I don't want any of that for any of you. I'm telling you, don't go another day without him. Good news continues. He is alive. He is here. He is calling to you, and he is ready to receive your call. So let's turn to him now. From wherever you are, in whatever place you find yourself, I want to give a space to turn to Jesus Lord, we trust that you are calling out to us in this moment. Give us ears to hear you, your voice, your call, your invitation to us in this time. Open our ears, Lord, to hear your call. For those you're calling to trust you with their lives for the first time, Lord, Receive them with grace, with love, with mercy, with confidence in you. For those you're calling deeper into mission, I pray you'd equip us with your power to go to be ambassadors of good news. For those of us you're calling to repent, I pray that we would do so courageously, knowing that you 
are full of grace, full of mercy, and full of power to transform. And Lord, for those of us who who just need to tell you how we're doing, we lift up our hearts to you. We turn to you, God. We pray that you would create space in our lives to sit at your feet. We pray that you would show us who you are, how you would receive us. Thanks for making the time for people like us. We're so grateful that you're alive. We're so grateful that you're with us. Teach us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.